You're listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, Grace Livingston, and welcome to episode 31, Unsung Heroes of the Writing Process. I'm Grace Livingston. I'm Brianna Storm Hilvetti. I'm Josiah DeGraff. And I'm Gabrielle Pollock. So excited to introduce some new voices on the podcast. For those who don't know, Brianna is our incredible managing editor at Story Embers, and Gabby is a stellar staff writer and our social media manager. I'm so thrilled to have both of them on for a couple of episodes over the next few months. So getting to today's discussion, we're going to be taking a look at some of the hidden heroes behind a novel's creation, kind of taking a second to acknowledge that writing isn't a one-person show, and there's often a whole sort of team that's behind making sure readers get a polished and fully fleshed out story. So let's start with who are these unsung heroes we're talking about? Who wants to start us off? I'll go first. Yeah, fire away, Brianna. Beta readers, critique partners, family members, friends, and editors will all have a hand in shaping your story. But I'd also say that within this group, you need people with specific gifts. So you need someone who will encourage you to keep going when you're struggling to make progress. You need someone who will challenge you to stretch yourself beyond your current abilities or to see the world from a different perspective. You need someone who won't hesitate to dole out criticism, even if it's scathing. And you need someone who can give you an idea how your target audience might respond to the story you're writing. Sometimes one person will serve more than one of these roles. And in general, you should have more people offering you criticism than encouragement to make sure you're not missing any blind spots. But if you have an assortment of people with these gifts, you'll have a strong team that will help you knock your novel out of the park. Yeah, I'd largely sign on to a number of the different categories that Brianna was saying. A lot of them are ones that I would put in there as well. One other thing that I would mention is the value of understanding what role people of different skills play on your quote-unquote writing team, whether it's you know an official team or not. I think a lot of times not. I think it's important to have people who are at the same level of, as you, people who are more experienced than you, and people who are even less experienced than you um, with writing. A couple reasons for all that. I think it's obvious why you want people who are more experienced than you. Um, ultimately, in order to grow, you need to have mentors in your writing life who are more experienced than you, who are able to give you that help. One of the things that I have found in my experience, both working with people and in coaching other writers, though, is that while you often want to have a mentor who's more experienced than you, your critique partner is often going to be best served if they're roughly at the same level as you. I've heard from a number of you know writers who have tried being critique partners where they weren't really at the same skill level, weren't really matching. And, and it, you know, it's something that certainly can work, but also produces a, a lot of challenges if both of you are trying to help each other and one's much more advanced than the other. Um, it, there are certainly several times where it can work. The difference is too much, though. It can often be frustrating for the one if they feel like you know, it's less of a critique partnership, more one where one person is always helping the other up. 
Um, and so I think it's important to have people who are roughly at the same level you know, in order for you to go back and forth on. One last one I'd add, though, is I actually think it's important for, for writers to be not only being mentored, but also mentoring other people who are less advanced than them. And while this might not be a standard thing to think about in this regard, one of the things that I have certainly found is that when you are teaching someone, that's often the final step in really learning the skill yourself. Okay. You know, so my day job is as a teacher, and I can wholeheartedly say as an English teacher that there are many things in English, whether grammatically or in terms of, you know, understanding the works of literature themselves I covered that I had, didn't really understand until I had to teach it to someone. Because when you teach it to someone, that forces you to really make sure you understand the core of what something is and how to articulate it and hard to deal with the different objections or questions um, that students will bring up. But this is one of the reasons why I think one of the best things that writers can do is writers can beta read and give feedback on other people or look for ways to mentor other writers who are a couple steps behind them because it's not only a way of giving back to the writing community, but it's also a, an effective way of making sure that you really understand all the things that you think you understand when you have to teach it to someone. My goodness, guys, those are awesome thoughts. Just to tail end what you guys have said, I think it's also important that, well, for one, like you guys said, to surround us with other writers who can critique what we have, but it's also important for us to maybe involve non-writers into the process, like family and friends, as Brianna was saying. I think it's really important because sometimes we can get stuck in this like writer bubble where the only people reading our stuff are other writers. And that can kind of make us lose that outside perspective of what real readers are going to come to our book expecting and seeing. Gabby, are you trying to say that the average reader doesn't have a complicated understanding of character arcs and, and plot structure and isn't, you know, directly looking for them in the story? Maybe. Well, there, there's a lot of people, I think, especially nowadays, when we're analyzing movies and stories, who understand that sort of thing and are not writers. But I think people who just read for fun and who don't necessarily go to a story to pick out those sort of details kind of have this innocent wonder and they don't make it so complicated, if that makes sense. They feel the way they feel because that's just how the story makes them feel, not because they know the writer's telling here or showing too much here. Yeah, I completely agree with being a bit facetious there uh, with my original comment. But yeah, I think it is important that we're not only getting advice from people who know all the techniques we're using can give us feedback. But you know, I agree that sometimes if you get too caught up in that, you can forget what it is that the average reader who doesn't understand those things looks for. Because when you misunderstand that, that's sometimes, you know, if you look on movies on you know, Rotten Tomatoes, you know, sometimes there's a very big gulf between what the critic's review is and what the average audience review is. Now, the critic to the audience isn't a one-to-one -one comparison with the experienced writer in the audience. But I think it does go to show that there are some things where just because someone really experienced in the field likes it, you know, there, there's a difference between what they like and what the average layperson likes. That's important to be writing for both. Now that we've looked at who some of these hidden heroes are, what specifically does each of them bring to the table? In my mind, there are three main different things that outside people can bring to writers. The first thing that it brings is feedback. And as we've been kind of getting at, feedback comes at a number of levels. It comes at the level of other writers who have written a lot or are familiar with the techniques, can give you feedback on that. It can come from the perspective of your, your average lay reader who isn't familiar with those things, but still has opinions on what you know, kind of story they're looking for. It comes from the professional editors. 
who have been trained to have a better eye for what you know, the, the average reader has or is able to give you feedback that fellow writers at your same skill level are able to have. Right. So there's one dimension there of feedback. I'd say that there is a second dimension there of just encouragement and support. I think that writers need those people who are, I think, you know, while writers certainly need really critical people in their lives, they also need people who are not super critical, who are just going to enjoy the different things authors put out. And I think, you know, while some, well, while it might be easy for some writers to look down on that and say, oh, why would you need somebody who's just going to approve of everything you do? Well, writing takes a lot of heart. It takes a lot of work. And I think it's important to also have that balance there. I think it's important not to misunderstand that balance. Just because one person likes every word you say doesn't mean that everyone else will. But I think it's important for writers to have people in their lives who are encouraging them. And then finally, I think it's important for writers to have people in their lives who are going to provide them with accountability um, just on the time management end of things and on keeping writing a priority. Um, I know a number of writers where accountability was the number one thing that got them writing consistently. Um, I don't think I can overstress how important accountability is in that measure. There are a few people who can be very consistent and dedicated to writing without an accountability partner. I've also tend to find that there are a lot of people who think they can do it without an accountability partner who actually don't. So I think it's important to be careful not to think too much of one's own abilities. Ouch. I feel called out, Josiah. How dare you? I'm uh, no comment, Gabby. No comment. (laughs) I like Josiah's point about having encouragers. I feel like those are kind of your family. I suppose you could say if you have a mom who like really loves your writing, it's just like, this is all great, honey. Keep going. We definitely need one of those people. And I think that sometimes it can be tempting to be like, oh my gosh, I need like real people to critique my stuff, but definitely don't underestimate their role in your writing. Try to appreciate them. I think those people are your alpha readers because, you know, there's a difference between the people who first see your work, like your baby work, the stuff you've just written and encourage you for it. That's the alpha readers. And then the beta readers come later. Those are the people who kind of tear your heart out of your chest as they're looking at your writing and saying it needs improvement. And I think both kind of need to be valued equally. We'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned. Am I really called to be a writer? Is writing worth my time when most writers fail? Can I really attain excellence and stand above the crowd? Most of us at Story Embers have struggled with many of these questions at one point or another. That's why we created our free Cultivating a Mindset for Success e-course. Featuring interviews with authors Sarah Sundin and Jaquel Ferris, this course is designed to help you develop a mindset that will allow you to overcome obstacles and achieve more as a writer. Follow the link in this episode's show notes to learn more and get access to this free course today. Welcome back to our discussion on the lesser-known heroes of the writing process. Our panelists have already talked about how editors, beta readers, and accountability partners can bring invaluable feedback and encouragement throughout the writing process. But now I want to transition to thinking about what it looks like when writers and these other team members work together. Specifically, what are some mistakes writers can make when working with these other team members? How can writers fail to use these unsung heroes effectively? I would say that the main problem is that sometimes writers listen too much or too little to the wrong people. So for instance, beta readers mean well, but they often act too much like cheerleaders or don't really know what they're talking about. It can help you see how a reader might react to your story and determine whether it's relatable or generally makes sense, but more complex issues may slip past them. 
Editors, however, sometimes get treated like enemies when they're actually a writer's greatest ally because they'll tell you the hard truth about where your story could be better. Until a writer realizes that an editor's goal is to make the book better, improve the reader's experience, and help the author build a reputation for quality work, the two won't work together effectively. The relationship needs to be based on mutual respect. Yeah, I'm just going to kind of jump on to some of the things that Brianna is saying here. Um, I, I largely agree with those points. You know, One of the things I've found with beta readers is, while the beta readers I've had often are giving feedback, and it's good feedback, and they are pointing out issues, and they are looking at problems, I've also found that the types of problems they point out also can be distinct from the problems that, say, an agent or an editor who's going over the piece trying to decide, well, do I want to accept this is going to find, okay? Now, if a beta reader finds a problem, it's likely that the professional editor or the literary agent or the publisher is going to find the same thing. But I think one of the things to keep in mind is that when we're talking about the professional writing world, when you are going up against a number of other really talented people, publishers, agents, et cetera, are going to be more picky because they can afford to be. So while the beta reader, they're just looking at your book. They don't need to be picky. The agent who's comparing your book to nine others that have all been queried to them and they're trying to figure out who to represent, they're going to be more picky. And as a result, they've been able to train an eye for things that the average layperson simply hasn't had to train yet. I'd also say that when we're talking about editors, it's also important to understand that there are a variety of different uses of the term that can mean very different things. You know, one of the things that I've noticed over probably over the past five years online, and this is, you know, I'm sure this has been the case beforehand, but I've been noticing it more so in my circles now than it was before, is there's a wide range in terms of editors in terms of what qualifications you know do the different people you know, who are marquee as editors have. You know, there is a big difference between, you know, say the writer who has you know editing on the side, who's charging something like fifty to hundred dollars for a critique, you know, and the professional editor who has you know taken a lot of training on this, has a lot of credentials, has a lot of experience, is going to charge something like a couple thousand for editing the book because that's the rate that you know, professional editors tend to charge. So I also think it's important for writers to understand the difference, realize that you're going to get what you pay for in terms of that. The editor you hire for hundred dollars is going to give you feedback and critique. It's not going to be the same type of professional feedback and critique you're going to get from an editor who's going to charge at higher, more, you know, higher rates that are more in line with the industry professionals. So I think it's important with editors for writers to be looking at what are their credentials you know, and realize that oftentimes you're going to get what you pay for with editors. And so you need to keep that in mind when you're trying to figure out what type of editor you want to go for and how hot and you know, what kind of quality you're really looking for them to bring to your story. Yeah, those are great thoughts, guys. You guys have been talking about editors and things, and I was just thinking that in order to use editors and beta readers correctly in whatever stage of writing that you're on, I think you need to have the correct expectations as well. So you can't send off your book to an editor or like a beta reader and expect them to be like, oh my goodness, this is so good. I have no critiques. I'm just going to praise you for it. Editors and beta readers are there to make it better. And that means pointing out the flaws. So sometimes it's really easy to subconsciously think this is the best thing in the world and they're not going to have very many critiques on it. So that is a mindset definitely to be wary of because it also lends itself to pride. Because when editors point out flaws in your work and you went in thinking that it was the best thing in the world, you're not going to be so willing to change things or listen to them when they have wise counsel. 
Yeah, and the other thing I'll also throw onto that is to, to be thoughtful about what type of feedback are you looking from different you know, beta readers or editors. One of the things that I've shifted to doing over the past four years is with beta readers because you know not all of my beta readers have a lot of writing experience. Some of them are just you know people who read the genre. They're, they're not necessarily people who can diagnose why they feel certain ways or why they didn't like different things in the manuscript. Is I'll often ask them more reader response questions where you know if they have feedback or critique to give, I'm all for that. But for the beta readers who do not have the training of writers to be able to diagnose specific things, but who still know what they're feeling, I find it very helpful to just ask them questions like, what parts of the story dragged the most? What characters were your favorite? What parts of the story were more exciting? Because what that's telling me is it's telling me, here's how people are engaging with different parts of my story. Because a non-writer who's reading your work, depending on the train they have, they may not be able to put their finger on why something isn't working, but they can certainly tell you what they're experiencing. It gives you an ability to look at their responses and to say, are these responses matching what I want my readers' responses to be? If so, that's great. If not, you might need you. I may need to go back to the drawing board to try and resolve some of these things. Um, but I think it's important not to be asking beta readers questions that they may or may not be necessarily prepared or trained to be able to tackle. Now, let's look at the other side. What are some things you think writers should keep in mind when working with these people? How can they make sure they're using their skills and strengths effectively? Well, as we've kind of been talking about, the tricky part of the revision process is that feedback from editors, beta readers, and others who read your work should each be handled differently. You need to be discerning about which suggestions to listen to. So you want to start by considering how qualified someone is to recommend a particular change. So is the person a family member, someone from your writing group, an editor you met at a conference? What level of experience does this person have with writing? Are they professional and published, a beginner? How familiar are they with your genre? And an especially crucial question to ask yourself is, are they able to be impartial and honest with you, or will they only say what you want to hear? Of course, this doesn't mean that family and friends won't give helpful suggestions or that an editor is always right. First, you need to make sure you're not being overly protective of your writing, but you also shouldn't allow someone with poor grammar to dictate where you place commas or someone who has never written or read your genre to govern how you shape the plot. You always want to defer to the person with more knowledge and experience and never disregard professional guidance in favor of amateur opinion that appeases your personal preferences. That was fabulous. I love that, Brianna. Oh, my goodness. Um, small thing I have to add, Brianna had a lot of great thoughts, so she kind of covered a lot of good ground. But um, remember, especially when you're working with beta readers, that they aren't usually paid to do this sort of thing. So they won't always meet deadlines or they won't always get your entire book through to you on time. I know I'm a beta reader and I'm really bad at deadlines. So just have mercy on them. They're humans. Thank them for what they've done and kind of chill when they're not exactly on the same schedule as you are. I'll say kind of outside of the, you know, we've been talking a lot about the types of people in your quote unquote team who are, who are tasked with giving you feedback. One of the things I think that's important for the other two sides of the spectrum, those who are giving you support and those who are giving you accountability is I think that a lot of 
what you need on that front is simply the initiative to ask on that front. Say, look, you know, I need you know, accountability to help to keep each other accountable in this area and, and simply realizing that you need those sorts of people. And then you're looking for ways to define people where both of you can help each other. I think that inertia can be one of the biggest challenges for areas on this front. Um, and so I think it's important to simply realize, A, I need this, pe- this person. And then you see if you can find someone where you can both help each other and then make expectations clear um, because nothing can can kill a potentially good accountability partner relationship more than if you are not communicating clearly on what type of accountability you need and what kind is most helpful for you. Some writers need accountability partners that are really going to get on them if they're not writing. Others do not need those types of accountability partners because those are going to stress them out and put too much of a burden on them. And they really just need someone who's just going to ask every week, how did you do? And just use the fact that you know someone's going to ask um, in, in order to get yourself to keep writing. So I think it's important to, to A, ask and B, make sure your expectations are clear on what exactly you need from that partner. Thank you all for coming on. And thanks to all of you listeners who tuned in. What topics would you like to hear discussed on the podcast? Email us at info at storyumbers.org to let us know. And as always, special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Taylor Clarkson and Michael Stanton. Visit patreon.com slash storyumbers or follow the link in this episode's show notes to become a supporter and get access to exclusive Storyumbers updates, swag, and more. Finally, join me again on October 19th as Josiah, Hope, Rolina, Deus, and I dive into the question, should Christians write stories with dark and dismal endings? All on the next episode of the Story Embers podcast. Um, can everybody go through and just say a sentence like, hi, my name is or something so I can check mics? Um, my name is Anita Montoya, who killed my father, prepare to die. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, gosh. Hey, Josiah. As you wish. <laughs> nice. <laughs>